Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for Family Business Radio. Showcasing outstanding family businesses and the advisors who assist them. Good afternoon. You're listening to an episode of Family Business Radio. I'm your host, Anthony Chen. Today, we have an amazing guest with us today. They're going to be talking uh, all about IT, cybersecurity, and all things geekery. I have David Gracie with Network One Consulting. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here, Anthony. Great. So kind of share with us uh, your story, your origin story. What got you into starting out your own uh, IT business? Sure. Glad to, glad to share that. Um, this is my third job after college. And uh, on my second job, I had a client who gave me an opportunity to come work in-house for him. And I uh, declined because I was thinking about starting my own business. So it was really more of an opportunity to start the company rather than a, a, a burning desire of, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. So it's mm-hmm. uh, entrepreneurs come from all, all shapes and sizes. And this is my, my uh, story. So uh, I started my company and I had one client and I was the only employee worked out of the basement of my house for mm-hmm. several months until I was uh, asked to find some office space by my spouse. And so uh, did that and, and really just took care of IT needs. Uh, this is 1998. So we're celebrating our 25th year now, which just makes me old. But uh, what that uh, IT looked like in 1998 was very different than it is now. And we can talk about that in a little bit. But uh, starting out uh, was, uh, it, it felt a little uh, risky. It felt a little unsure, uncertain, which I think every entrepreneur has a, a bit of that uh, uncertainty going in. But uh, dove right in and uh, within a few months had another client and thought this was uh, this business actually had legs and mm-hmm. I could uh, really enjoy doing this type of work. So kind of share with us uh, the thought process as you're thinking about opening your own business. Was there a one event that spurred you on to make that leap or has it just kind of been an itch in the back of your head that came that made you make that this decision? Sure. Uh, in my prior job, things uh, hadn't been going well. I wasn't really happy with the direction the company was taking or the leadership of the company. And really, um, you know, I hadn't yet started a family, so I wasn't sure, uh, you know, exactly. Uh, I wasn't certain about the my future there. And mm-hmm. so I, I felt that it was time for me to think about doing something else. And so uh, either I could uh, continue doing this type of work for another company or, you know, back in the nineties, the, uh, small and mid-sized business market was really underserved. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were, uh, AT&T, you had your in-house IT department that took care of all things computer. If you're a law firm with 35 or 40 employees, you struggled with that. You maybe yeah. had somebody who understood what technology was and how to boot up a computer and and run word perfect, but that was about it. Mm-hmm. So uh, the market was really young back then and internet was just coming online. Businesses were just starting to have their own email and mm-hmm. a few of them had websites, but not many. So uh, technology was just a very different place. And so I knew it was a growing market. I knew small and mid-sized businesses were underserved. And so there was an opportunity. So I really uh, I had some experience with that at my prior job with working with other businesses and kind of developing their IT strategy and taking care of computer systems, uh, fixing when they broke, answering people's questions. But as we, uh, as we started going along and I saw an opportunity to move forward, uh, starting a new company, I thought, well, let me have a crack at this. I think I can probably do it better than uh, former companies doing it and probably better than the, the average IT guys doing it now. Mm-hmm. 
Now, you mentioned 25 years ago in the 90s. Uh, for, for our younger listeners who, who, who kind of took things for granted right now where everything's all fast and cable and I imagine we can use some phrases like T1 or, or the 28.8K modems and dial-ups. But <laughs> we can if you want to get nerdy. We can talk about T1 lines all day long. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, that, that was very early on in, in, in tech where it's, I, I guess the, the phrase or the wording I'm struggling to look for is, is just uncharted territory. Sure. So not only are you jumping into the deep end of starting your own business consulting, you're, you're jumping into a completely new field where there's almost no, I guess, book to kind of reference <laughs> to. So kind of share right. with the listener, like how, what was that like? Yeah, well, it was exciting. It was an exciting time. I mean, yeah. uh, businesses that had email, a lot of them had AOL or, mm-hmm. you know, Prodigy and it yeah. was dial up modem. So literally we would order computers for our clients and it mm-hmm. would, you'd order a tower computer, probably gateway 2000 was the brand, <laughs> yeah. uh, a large, uh, 15 inch screen mm-hmm. that weighed uh, a ton of, a ton of pounds. And then you paid $3,000 for that kit. Mm-hmm. Now that's, $1998, uh, do the math there. It's probably, uh, you know, six, $7,000 in today's market. But additionally, we would order a modem and, uh, for those computers. And so each computer, so you're thinking of an office environment, not oh. only would you run power to it and, and, uh, well, you didn't have internet really any kind of internet connection. So you ran mm. a phone line to the modem. And so each computer would dial up and you'd have to wait for the connection and then download the email and then it would hang up. So mm-hmm. there was not a persistent internet connection back then. The very few businesses could afford that. The ones that did got a, a what's called a T1 line uh, and that had a, a speed of 1.5 megabits, which is uh, in today's terms, you go and get Google fiber. It's a thousand times that speed. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was no such thing as video coming across the line at all. I mean, if you could get, uh, pictures downloaded, that would be about the best you could get. And so, uh, but most, most businesses used it for sending emails mm. and, uh, but, but setting up computers, showing people how to log into the computer, how to use their, uh, uh, software programs and so forth was, was really what it was about, but things were changing so quickly. Um, I remember, you know, there was a, one of our clients was trying to, one of their divisions or a big company branch office of a big company that we served here. And they were trying to launch a video streaming service and, like 99 or 2000. And that was way ahead of their time. (laughs) They had great visions, but uh, ran out of funding. And, Uh and so they shut that, they wound that bit down, but it was just interesting to see things like that going on. There were, uh, this is, you know, so think for people who didn't live through the dot-com implosion, Mm -hmm. uh, there was lots of excitement around uh, technology startups. If you had, uh, Kind of like uh, today, if you have anything with uh, crypto in the title, you're going to get attention or AI in the title, you're going to get attention and funding from venture capital folks. But back then it was, if you had a company that had a .com Mm -hmm. name associated with it, people threw money at you and then, uh, then the money dried up and then, you know, 99, 2000 hit and the, the, the bubble burst as they Mm -hmm. say. And so, but a lot of our clients are uh, more like law firms, medical practices, uh, financial services, firms, construction uh, companies. And so they were not as excited about the whole dot-com thing, nor were they as affected by it other than maybe their 401ks dropped yeah. in value. So what was kind of uh, your, their challenges? Because you mentioned some of the older computers, for, again, for a younger generation, they might not know about the whole Packard Bell and Tandy computers <laughs> way back then. So, so, so as they're kind of- TRS-80s. Yeah, they're kind of grasping their mind around, okay, I got this dial-up thing and I have access to email. Like, What, what other 
major challenges uh, they would have? Because I imagine maybe cybersecurity wasn't even, was that even a, a thing back then? Yeah, so uh, a bad day in the terms in terms of uh, cybersecurity would be uh, back in the 90s, a virus might be a, a program that would travel. So, so before you had a network, you had, if you wanted to share a file, you would copy it to a floppy disk and then literally walk it down the hall and give it to the other person to, to open. Um, the early hackers would write uh, viruses, which basically just caused mischief. It didn't, they didn't really care so much about stealing your money like they do today, mm-hmm. but you would, uh, you would load a uh, word, a word perfect document uh, onto a floppy drive and then hand it, you know, walk it down the, the, the hall. There'd be a virus attached to it. And that virus would do a little bit of mischief, but it wouldn't really damage too much of any files or certainly wouldn't encrypt them. Mm-hmm. But, uh, that was a bad day was, you know, a, a, comp- a comp- company had a virus and you had to kind of clean stuff up and run mm-hmm. scans and, and clean it all up. But that was, uh, that's probably changed most significantly because fast forward 25 years and we have, you know, state sponsored entities, uh, from North Korea, China, uh, Russia, who are, uh, paid hackers to come in and try to target, your data. And if you're a, a healthcare practice, you have to, you have all this uh, PHI information and you're HIPAA compliant. You have to make sure that any type of breach is reported. So there's whole systems in place that, that uh, reporting systems in place that you have to follow in order to, to be a doctor these days. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, 25 years ago, you had patient information on a server or a computer in your office. And that was about it. You maybe not even didn't even have internet connection. So it was a vastly mm-hmm. different uh, space back then. Uh, and it's, it's gotten a lot more dangerous. Um, and the, the, the stakes have gone up. Now the, the hackers are demanding ransom for, uh, giving your data back, mm-hmm. uh, and not publishing it on the dark web, which is a you know, whole nother issue. So, uh, yeah, it's changed drastically in 25 years. So speaking of all, uh, this rate of change from, from the mischief virus, like walking down the hallway now to clicking a email link, that might accidentally allow them have access. Uh, what do you see kind of at the forefront as the next step where every time a hacker comes up with a new idea to kind of get past security, cybersecurity kind of ups the level? Like what, what is the next stage in terms of, I guess you'd call it cybersecurity mm-hmm. warfare? Um, well, the good guys are always playing catch up uh. with the hackers because uh, it's, it's tough to predict what the hackers are going to do in order to, you know, what kind of tool they're going to create. You can't really uh, think of it like fighting a, a virus, like a, a, a human, a virus in a human. Mm-hmm. You can't come up with the vaccine until you have the virus, uh-huh. right? So once the hackers come out with a new tool or new way of getting your data, mm-hmm. then the good guys can come up with a solution to block it. But uh, they're just like with uh, getting sick and, and trying to you know, trying to stay healthy, you, there's things you can do to, that would help keep you healthy with all viruses, like washing your hands or uh, you know it, it, washing the dishes, making sure the things are just clean, making mm-hmm. sure that you have good ventilation, make sure you get outside and get good air, good oxygen, and uh, health and fitness. Make sure you eat good foods, and so there are things you can do regardless of what the, the bad stuff's doing, these are things you can do in the computer world. The things you can do are make sure you've got good passwords. One of the typical, uh, typical things that folks do is they reuse the same password for different types of accounts. Mm-hmm. And let's say you've got 10 different, uh, accounts. One's your bank America, one's your Amazon account, one's your Comcast and one's your Macy's account. 
Well, if you use the same or similar passwords and one of those uh, vendors or one of those companies gets breached, most likely it's going to be like Macy's, not mm-hmm. Bank America. They get your email address, which is probably the same thing you use to log into the other systems and password. And if you don't have a unique password for each of your accounts, you're at risk of, of uh, getting your systems hacked. So uh, we have now tools that are much that make that much easier for you. And so uh, a password manager is something you can get, which is a piece of software that you load mm-hmm. and it comes up with randomly generated passwords, which is what you want. Uh, and uh, it ties into your system so that you don't have to remember what the passwords are. You can just open your password manager and paste it in and it's really easy, seamless. And it also synchronizes among all your devices. So if you have an iPad, a laptop and an iPhone, you don't have to update those passwords on all of them. It all sync seamlessly uh, integrates with all of them. So regardless of if you're getting on your Bank America app with your laptop or your iPhone, mm-hmm. the password uh, is transferred over. So a, pass- a good password system is huge. The secondly, the second biggest thing is having uh, two-factor or multi-factor authentication on your on your important apps. What that is is when you go to log in. We've all seen this. Mm-hmm. You go to log into Schwab.com. It's going to send you a text to your phone. And that text is what you authenticate that says, yes, this is really me. This is not a Russian hacker trying to get into my system. So just basically those two things are, are huge things you can do. And that'll prevent a lot of the, the bad guys from, from causing mischief and taking your data. Mm-hmm. Now, with those barriers in place, uh, how soon or rather how long can that level of protection work until the hackers come up with new ways to kind of get around that because you kind of shared before the show that now they're already thinking of sending out emails and links to actually get the user to what's the word for give up or change their own uh two-factor authentication yeah we call that social engineering when when the bad guys convince convince you to do something that you shouldn't be doing yeah. uh they talk you into they trick you into uh giving you giving them your passwords um you know, I, I think it's it's just really important that that everybody use these same systems to to make sure that their passwords are, are uh, implemented correctly, and that all of the uh, the systems are are updated and patched, and make sure that everything's kind of kept online. And uh, um, yeah, so mm-hmm. now and we've dug a little into the cybersecurity world. When people think of IT. Uh, kind of the stereotypes like, oh, I got something wrong with my computer, um, get someone to kind of remote in and, and kind of fix things up. What other than that, that stereotype, I imagine there's a lot more involved when running an IT company or a tech company. Uh, can give us a little insight uh, as to what other, I guess, fires or other things that you do behind the scenes that the public or the client and client might not see, but you're already working on. Wow, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a multi-layered uh, onion on that one. Um, so backing up a little bit. So 25 years in the business. Now we have 45 employees. So when you're a company and you're one or two or three people, it's very easy to replicate knowledge among everybody and making sure everybody's doing the same thing the same way. So um, when you get to 45 or 450 employees, you need more systems in place to make sure that new hires are aware of the things that are going on uh, in your company to uh, to so that when they answer the phone, mm-hmm. when they take care of problems, it's done in a consistent way. Um, culture is a is a very uh, overused word, but um, when we're hiring people, we're very intentional about the type of person we're hiring, and we use 
uh, kind of Myers-Briggs-like uh, personality profiles to make sure this type of personality profile is going to be a good fit for this type of job. So for instance, uh, we have a support desk. So our support desk is in Sandy Springs. We have uh, probably 14 or 15 folks who answer the phone now for our 130 clients. And so when we get a phone call, those uh, those 15 folks, uh, the first one answers it. And there's a, a system that we go through to make sure that we're uh, responding quickly. So mm-hmm. we have to make sure that uh, there's there's the, the, the support desk is properly staffed, uh, that the, the person who answers the phone has the proper training to be able to go through it. But there's a, uh, there's a interesting, so this is where I'm getting my nerd on right now because I have an engineering background and I've, I've really dug into the hiring process hiring engineers because there are tons of technical people out there who have great skills, but to find the person who's interested in technology yet also wants to serve people and help people with their day-to-day problems is that's kind of a rare breed. Mm -hmm. So in this hiring process, we use these, these uh, testing systems to make sure that they have the capacity, the mental capacity to handle the speed of, of the things coming at them, the changes in technology. So they want to learn new things, Mm -hmm. but also, being a nice person, not being a jerk. Our industry has a reputation for, <laughs> for being uh, rude and, uh, and very uh, speaking over people's heads. So, um, so when we hire somebody, we're looking for somebody who can handle the pace, who connects with the other person on the phone because interaction and connection is very important, mm-hmm. especially when you're our size company and we're working with other companies that are our size company. Um, the people connection is very important. So we want to make sure that, when somebody calls us, we listen to them. We don't know what's going on on, on the other end of the phone. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of fires going on. There are deadlines happening. There, there are things happening with, uh, with this, say it's a law firm, and mm-hmm. there's a deadline. They have, to, they have a court filing or whatever that's due, and they can't open their Word document. They're very frustrated. They're calling us. A lot of times they might uh, express anger in a way that feels like they're mad at us, but they're not, and we get that. But it's all about taking care of the client in a quick manner and then letting them get on with their day. Mm-hmm. People don't call us every day just to say, hey, everything's great today. Just want to let <laughs> you know we're having no problems. Uh-huh. <laughs> we only get phone calls when they're problems. And so, but we're there to help. We, we get you know, 130 phone calls a day. Mm-hmm. And so when the phone rings, you never know what you're going to get on the other end of that. And so having a personality to be able to manage that is really key. So having a hiring process that makes sure you hire people that have those keys to success is really important. And I've really enjoyed putting that part of, of our company together in terms of getting the right tools for screening, getting uh, a, an effective way to review resumes in a way that makes sure we have the right kind of candidates, but also letting folks who work at network one uh, refer people that they know to come and work at our company. So about one in four new hires we have are internal internally referred candidates. So we're really proud of that. All right. So of the calls that are coming in, what what is kind of the, the most common, I guess, issue that they're calling in for? We get a lot of uh, password reset, password reset requests. So somebody, we have systems in place that if you type the wrong password too many times, it locks uh-huh. you out. So getting that taken care of. Um, believe it or not, we still have tons of uh, problems with Outlook, so email email systems, people's mm-hmm. they can't open an attachment. They um, or you know another, and we we love when people call us for this. They might get an email they're unsure of. Mm-hmm. Hey, this this email is not quite worded right. Is it is it's got an attachment? I'm not sure if I should click on it. Well, this is this means we've trained you well. 
We have trained you in a way to make you suspicious of everything that's coming your way. Mm -hmm. Um, We have systems in place that actually um, send our clients emails that pretend to be different emails. So trying to trick them, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, But these emails are coming from good guys. And if, if we get somebody that clicks on the email, so let's say it's a, um, Hey, this is bank of America, or this is the, the, IRS and you have a rebate by, by the way, IRS will never email you yeah. <laughs> ever. Um, and so if, uh, here, and here's your refund, C- click on this link. Um, if the, if our client clicks on the link, it takes them to a video that says, Hey, you clicked on this email. You shouldn't have, here's what you need to look for in the email, why you shouldn't click on it. And it gives them a, a, a kind of a train, a little five minute training, Hey, here's what to look for in, in a bad email mm-hmm. or an email you shouldn't click on. And by the way, that that information is captured in a reporting system so that management of that company gets a monthly report saying, hey, this month, these three people clicked on links. Of these three people, this one person has clicked on a, a link for the last three months. You might want to take them aside and talk to them a little more about training, like what to look for in emails and that kind of thing. So it helps a company to manage what we call social engineering a little better. And and by the way, we do that with ourselves too. We have a, a team within network one who sends our own staff, uh, these emails and I've clicked on one before too. So, <laughs> uh, and we have a little fun with it every month. We have a company meeting and we, uh, we call out, usually nobody clicks on the emails cause we've gotten, we've done this long enough, but we have fun with it. And we, uh, we share with everybody, uh, the email that went out and like, Hey, Bob clicked on the email and he shouldn't have, but mm-hmm. you know, we all just, and we have a little trophy we give him, and he's got to, he's got to keep it on his desk for that month. So it's, it's, okay. it's, you know, we're not ignoring it. It's important yeah. that, and every company has different culture and does things differently, but mm-hmm. I have found humor to be a really important part of life. And if you can, uh, incorporate humor into education so that like, Hey, Bob clicked on the email, but here's, here's what happened. It was an email that was it was kind of a tricky email, and I see what he was on his cell phone. He was on vacation. Okay, he he should have been in front of his laptop, especially if it's something that has to do with a wire transfer or money or funds or whatever or HR or here's mm-hmm. a report or whatever. So um, we try to use uh, humor to help people remember, uh, so that next time an email comes like that, they they won't click on it. But that's been a really successful tool we've had. We've deployed throughout our client base that uh, has really helped folks uh, keep from clicking on stuff, but. Um, you know, if you are, uh, the hackers are relentless and they're working 24 seven and our philosophy kind of going back to your earlier question, our philosophy is, is kind of like a home alarm system. You know, if, if you're targeted, if, if a thief targets your house and they really want to get in, they're going to figure out a way to get in. Mm-hmm. Similarly, if your business is targeted by the hackers, there's probably not much you can do to keep them out. However, very few Hackers target your business. Hacking is a numbers game. Mm -hmm. And so what they want to do is they send a million emails out and they get, if they just get 0.1% of that million emails to, to be, for those folks to click on that email, then they've got, you know, a thousand opportunities. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be the safest house on the block. You just have to be safer than your neighbors. So the key is just listen to your IT professional take their advice. If they, if they have a tool or a set of tools that can help you be more secure, implement those. So other than kind of the cybersecurity being the major elephant in the room and providing service for these smaller businesses, what other uh, facets does your firm also provide that perhaps the public might not be aware about? 
Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'm, I'm sure the public's aware about it, but oh. the, the big three things we do really and provide our clients, which support desk, which we've talked about, mm-hmm. uh, cybersecurity tools, which we've talked about and training there. Um, the, the next big shift that's going on is moving uh, data to the cloud. And the cloud is a big, wide open place mm-hmm. uh, and how you do how you move your data to the cloud so that number one it's protected from the bad guys but number two your your staff can access the data in a in a way that's helpful to them is really important and they're um you know the cloud's been around long enough now that it's a mature solution uh, for for years we had a lot of pushback uh from businesses that felt safer if their server was in the closet <laughs> down the hall in air conditioned space um well, what uh, with with the advances in technology and the ever decreasing cost of storing data, mm-hmm. uh, it's become so it's cost effective to move things to the cloud, but also more secure. And uh, but just helping businesses do that, a lot of applications are hosted, and you just go to a website and you access your data that way. Mm-hmm. Other solutions require you to have your own server, and so you. You spin up a server in the uh, Microsoft Azure cloud or the, in Amazon's cloud, and you um, you have your data there. But then you got to make sure it's the data is backed up in case the bad guys come and encrypt it with uh, some ransomware software. You need to be able to restore that data. So helping clients move to the cloud has been a big thing. Email was really one of the first, the, kind of the tip of the spear mm-hmm. in moving to the cloud. So a lot of people don't think of emails being in the cloud because they think email is Outlook, which is sitting on your laptop. Email is actually the back end of that. It's actually on a cloud uh, server these days, especially if you're with Microsoft. It's all in the cloud now. So cloud has come a long way, and it's uh, really gotten a lot better, a lot more secure. And so it lets us shift what we do from being mechanics of that server that's in the closet mm-hmm. to being uh, more business advisors and helping our clients understand better ways to uh, use their data and and share it and create good data. So if my if I'm understanding kind of the flow or the evolution of IT is that you no longer being uh, engineers are physically having to go to the client's office space, uh, going to, well, I guess, the closet where their server <laughs> would be, but now you get to have the access to the client's information without having to physically all go there, but just have access via the cloud. And it makes it a little easier, I imagine, for both the provider of the service and the end user. Sure, we're a lot more effective uh, I guess efficient would be the the better way to put it at, mm. at doing our job. We could probably do close to a hundred percent of our tasks remotely from our office, but because we're serving the small and medium sized business market, the relationship is really important. So getting a face in front of them is still very key. So we bake into all of our service plans, some FaceTime. So we have a team of 12 engineers who do nothing but go on site to their clients and each client or each one of our engineers has, you know, between five and 15 clients that they manage and they're the primary point of contact. Now behind them is the support desk and the network operations center and the project team that helps on uh, various things. But the, the face of network one to that client is going to be their primary engineer, the, the one who's coming on site. And so they're driving all around Atlanta, uh, and you know they're on site. They're probably on site fifteen to fifteen to twenty hours a week. The other time they're working either remotely from their house or remotely from our office, uh, taking care of uh, different different needs that way. But uh, yeah. yes, tools. And in, in nineteen ninety eight, when I started Network One, there was no such thing as a network uh, as a remote uh, access tool that could log in. So every every item we had to fix. Uh, we had to be on in front of the computer. Wow! So imagine that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a, it's a lot more effective 
for us to to have this model and it's less expensive for our clients because they're paying you know whereas it used to take us you know an hour and a half or two hours to drive to the client site take care of the system and then drive to the next client site we can log in log off in 15 20 25 minutes mm-hmm. and take care of an issue so time is money in our business yeah. so it's uh, it's important that we're uh, we use our time uh, effectively now you mentioned in terms of other servers helping the clients move off from their physical server into the cloud would what situation would a client still consider keeping some form of physical server uh, in their office space? Sure. Um, we have a, a handful of clients that have gone through the evaluation process to look to see if they if it's right for them to, to go to the cloud and have elected to keep uh, things on premise. Primarily, I would say the driver of that is their line of business application. So what's their main program, their main software program they're using to, to run their business? Mm-hmm. I know certain industries were kind of laggards in terms of getting up to speed on moving from the selling software to the client model to having a hosted solution in the cloud that's uh, that's more effective and, and a better way to, to, to solve it. So um, you might have, let's I'll take QuickBooks. Let's say you have the QuickBooks desktop version mm-hmm. and you've had that for 20 years and then you decide you want to go to the QuickBooks online version. Well, you might make the switch and the online version doesn't have all the same features that the, the version you had, uh, uh, the, the, the old version, the desktop version had. Mm-hmm. So um, you might decide, okay, this is not for me. You might learn that in the evaluation process or you might learn it after you've made the transition and, and gone live with the new on, online version and decided to roll back. Um, now you take that one example of QuickBooks and you apply it to a medical practice that has their entire patient database and their whole uh, EHR system online. And it's right now it's in the closet and they move it to the cloud and then they get to the cloud and these physicians are not able to, or the software is not able to keep up with the physicians. Like maybe the physician has their iPad and they're going around, they're typing stuff and it's just not keeping up that, that practice might decide to roll it back. That's the exception, not the rule. Most applications have gotten pretty good and they've had enough time to work out the kinks. And so they're able to then present their client with a better, more robust solution uh, than the, the uh, on-premise closet server version uh, of the software. Uh, but we do see it from time to time where, where folks will roll back or decide to stay on premise. But the trend is definitely overwhelmingly to move to the cloud. It's, it's a monthly recurring charge. You never have to buy a new server. Uh, you know, when the, when the water pipes burst uh, in the closet, you don't have to worry about your server getting drenched, <laughs> short circuiting. Uh, there's just a host of things that are eliminated when you move to a cloud solution that, that uh, you don't have to deal with. Now, would you say kind of the, the cloud, I guess, industry or the service is at a maturation point or there's still a huge market um, demand out there where they haven't really fully integrated yet? Uh, you know, it's hard for me to say. Um, I, I would say that, the, t- t- let me put it on a time, time horizon. So probably back in, I remember it was, it was 2016. I came back from a con- no, it was more than that. It's like 2014. I came back from a conference, and the Microsoft representative was up on stage, and he was saying, "This is a conference of IT people, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's a nerd convention. So all the nerds are gathered around, and we're up there listening to Microsoft say. And he, the guy comes out and says that Microsoft's uh, plan for email was that no business with fewer than 500 
employees should have their own email server. And our clients are nothing but fewer than 500 employees and all of them had email servers. So we were kind of panicked, like, oh my gosh, what, what are we going to do? Like if, if all the email servers that we manage go away, what are, are we going to be out of a job? Well, first of all, the first thing that happened was it took a lot longer to make that transition because Microsoft wasn't ready. Um, they declared this new world order and then their cloud email wasn't ready. Oh. And so there's lots of false starts, but they finally got it. If you remember, uh, a, a, this is kind of a non sequitur, but when Apple came out with one of their, their new iPhones and the, the phone didn't work and it was, it was an antenna was, there was a grounding uh, issue uh, oh. with the antenna. And so they would drop calls and all this stuff. Uh-huh. Well, Apple figured it out. Like they're going to fail. The companies are going to fail the first couple of attempts, but they're, they're smart people. They're going to get it right. Yeah. This is a, this is the example of Microsoft moving to their email cloud is uh, they got it wrong a few times. And once they got it right, companies embraced it and they started moving forward towards it. So now I probably, so we manage 40, almost 5,000 people. Uh, Our clients make up about 5,000 people. And we probably have maybe one or two of our clients that have their own email server on premise anymore. Everybody has moved to the cloud. So something like email, that application is done. I mean, everybody's moved to the cloud. The other applications that are left are things like QuickBooks, Mm -hmm. something simple like an accounting program. Accounting programs are another one. We don't work with uh, CPAs, but uh, there's some CPA firms out there who uh, uh, still have a lot of on-premise applications. Mm -hmm. They have to update them every month or every week, depending on if it's tax season or not. So um, some applications are slower than others to move to the cloud. But, uh, I think, you know, it, 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 from the small and medium sized business perspective, it feels like we're kind of at the midway point, maybe more than halfway, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of evolving everything or moving everything to the cloud. Well, the reason I ask is for kind of the smaller or medium sized businesses, you mentioned back then it was just beginning days of just modem and getting email. And then as we're kind of evolving, looking through, I'm thinking, okay, so if the cloud is kind of a maturation point what is going to be the next, I guess, cloud or next big tech innovator where business should kind of keep an eye on uh, going into the future? Um, well, I mean, cybersecurity, I'll, I'm going to back up a little bit because cybersecurity was such a big one two, three years ago. I mean, the, the hackers had the upper hand. I mean, it was it was very much the Wild West. You just did everything you could to try to keep the hackers out. And then, they, and then finally, the good guys got enough tools and end users learned... Like I can't click on every link that comes to me. So it took time for that to kind of get there. So that's an example of where something has, has kind of peaked and now it's kind of ebbing. So we kind of, we're not past that. I mean, they're always, they're always going to be bad guys. They're always going to be trying to come out and they're going to come out and get your data. And there's always going to be uh, new tools that we have to, to fight. But uh, I mean, the, the big thing now everybody's talking about is AI. Like how is AI going to change, you know, kind of the world of technology and, and the world of business and who knows, like I'm not even qualified to answer that question because mm-hmm. I can barely spell AI, <laughs> so, but it's, it's a, uh, it's a very interesting technology and we've played around with it a little bit. In fact, you, I mean, uh, you can kind of use it to replace Google if you want to go that way. And, and it's, uh, and some people I know have done that and it's, uh, you, you, you basically are asking the cloud to come up with an answer to your question. So the, the key is asking it the right question. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the key is also having the skill set to understand that if the response you get is right or wrong, because uh, it can 
very quickly is very powerful, but can very quickly get off the rails. And so, uh, so when AI provides you with an answer, uh, in, in our world, the things we might look up would be how to create a software script is what we call it, a program, software program to solve this particular thing or to push out a, a new policy. Let's say, um, you want to, uh, I'll make up a simple one. You want to, for your entire company, you want everybody to have to change their passwords and they have to be this new requirement. So you might write a script to kind of push that out so that at noon tomorrow, everybody's passwords is prompt, uh, password change is prompt. And you might use AI to come up with that script for you. Well, it might write a completely wrong script. And if you haven't tested that script uh, and really taking it through the paces, it might do some something completely unexpected. Mm-hmm. So uh, just have to be careful about what you use AI for. It can be fun. Uh, I had it write a Christmas letter for me that I never sent out and it just kind of made up some fun stuff about a family I didn't even have and kids oh. that weren't even my kids' names. But it just went on and on about these, you know, this person's engaged and this person's going to, on a trip to Italy. And, and mm-hmm. uh, it was just kind of fun to see what oh. it would do and it'll do some wacky stuff. Well, then I guess well, kind of jumping on the bandwagon of the AI subject is how do you see that potentially changing um, IT services going in the next, I say, five or, or 10 years? Uh, hard question to answer other than uh, I would say kind of with anything, there always needs to be a person kind of at the helm to make sure that whatever tools you use, whatever tools we in the IT industry use, that there's a person who kind of oversees the implementation and then there's constant testing and checking and following up to make sure that uh, the results you think you're getting, you're getting. Mm-hmm. And that you, uh, you're you not letting AI kind of run everything off course and, and move out and, you know, into the, into the ditches. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's it, it's a hard question to answer because I think nobody really knows. There's lots of there's lots of different scenarios. There's the uh, kind of the Terminator scenario where people yes. talk about <laughs> becoming uh, self aware and, uh-huh. and and taking over the world. But um, but it's uh, who knows. And uh, there there are people a lot smarter than I am to probably predict what can happen. But uh, but I do know at the end of the day, and, and I've seen a lot of change in the last 25 years in this industry. That it's uh, when it comes down to it, when there's when there's a bad day, when there's something bad going on. People is what's important, and communication uh, really kind of helps to uh, ensure that everybody understands what's going on, where we are with, with solving the problem, and how you're going to confidently move forward and take care of it. Mm-hmm. So, so, since we're on the subject of solving problems, what is typically for a small, medium-sized business? When should they start considering have coming to someone like yourself for their IT needs? So a little bit of uh, perspective. So in 1998, when I started network one, uh, we typically, I typically saw when a company got to about 25 or 30 employees, they would hire somebody to do what we do. So they would hire an in-house it person over the years and decades, that number, the size has gone up drastically. So we're now seeing, people outsource their IT way until they're, you know, 100, 150, 200 employees. Um, If IT is not your main business, so IT is our main business. So we have 45 people of which uh, probably 38 of them, 35 of them are technical. So we can career path a person we hire to come in, 
maybe it's their first IT job. Maybe it's their second IT job. Mm-hmm. We have them answer the phones for a couple of years. They start working on some projects, start doing some more advanced things. I can give that IT person a career path as long as they want to stay in IT. If, if you're a law firm and you're a hundred people and you hire an IT person, there's no career path for that IT person. So you have one of two scenarios. You have, you've hired somebody who's really good, a good IT person, and they're going to get bored and they're going to want to leave and they're going to want to hang around other IT people. Uh, nerds like other nerds. <laughs> they, they seek their own kind. Um, or the second scenario is you hire a bad IT person and then you're stuck with the bad IT person. So typically you're, uh, you're much better off outsourcing it. We outsource a lot of things that we're, it's not our core competency. Uh, we outsource our entire HR group. So we have a, a firm that we use that uh, does everything from uh, pre-screening, onboarding, uh, all of our 401k stuff on, on all that. I mean, all the communications around that is handled by an outsourced company. We're not good HR people. So, uh, so we, in that regard, we eat our own dog food. We're going to outsource as much as we can to other companies. And that's our pitch to other businesses is like, Hey, you're a construction company. You're great at building things. We're great at technology and making sure your systems continue to run safely. And so that people can access their data, outsource that piece to us and we'll take care of it for you. So, um, you know, tip our smallest clients, probably five employees, maybe 10 employees, depends on the company. But uh, our average client's about 30 to 35 employees. Like I said, we have 130 of them. And we've, uh, in total, it's about 5,000 uh, people. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned early on having worked with either law firms or accounting firms or even physician office because they deal with all forms of patient or client data. But then you also brought up construction companies. Kind of share with the public, like, okay, so what does construction, because when you mention construction company, most people might think of like independent contractors and builders. Like, well, what, what do they need for, for, for IT? Kind of share, what does that look like? Sure. So a, a construction company that would hire us is going to be bigger than a, a single person contractor type situation. Um, any company that's big enough to have uh, shared data. So, contractors or construction companies are going to have scheduling systems. They're going to have uh, payroll systems. They've got uh, procurement and that type of thing. Uh, and, and so um, they're going to have some types and, and there are, there are companies that write software specifically for construction industry uh, uh, businesses. And so, um, so we come in and we take care of, we, we learn what systems they have. And a lot of our clients already might have run, have that system in place. So we were familiar with what, what they're running. Um, but yeah, your, your small one, two, five person construction company is probably not a good fit for us. Mm-hmm. But, uh, once you get bigger than that, you know, like I said, probably 20, 30 people, that's when, uh, outsourcing or partnering with a company like us makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now for you, Let's kind of back to you mentioned there's kind of that stereotype where certain IT people might be a little more forward <laughs> in the verbiage. When you're, you're being nice. With <laughs> clients. Uh, when should a client start to consider looking elsewhere, uh, getting a second opinion, or maybe reach out to someone like yourself? Like, hey, I already have an existing servicing contract, but I don't know what. They don't have no one else to really compare. They might have been with the same IT person they hired when they opened the business five, 10 years ago, but now they've kind of outgrown, but they're not sure if they're really outgrown and whether or not they need to reach out to someone like yourself to kind of step in as kind of their, I guess you call it outsourced CTO. Sure. Well, um, Atlanta is full of people like Network One, companies like Network One. We have over 800 
uh, competitors just in Atlanta. The vast, vast majority of companies that do what we do are really small in terms of headcount. So they might have two or three employees, definitely fewer than five. Uh, it's really tough to grow a business um, in this industry, uh, typically because the founder really loves technology and really loves getting his hands dirty. And so he wants to, it's typically a man, which is what I say he uh, typically will um, not get out of the way uh, mm-hmm. to let his employees thrive. So it's tough to grow a business. Uh, any business owner recognizes that. And, mm-hmm. and we all kind of want to, nobody can do it as well as we can mm-hmm. <laughs> until we can't. Um, but uh, so typically what you're looking for is someone um, who's, who's got a reputation in the industry. So uh, maybe people who uh, are, you go to a, if you're a lawyer, you maybe go to your law firm, uh, uh, conference once a month or you're meeting with other lawyers, ask them who they use. Um, but typically the trigger points, so changing IT providers is hard. It's painful. Nobody likes to do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, now our perspective is we do it every single month. We, we onboard new clients every single month. So for us, we have a checklist. We go through the process. It's not a big deal for us, but for, for, for businesses out there changing IT firms, it can be tough. What we typically hear when we get a phone call from a, a, a new prospect is something around service. Either um, the the business feels like they've outgrown their IT provider, or they're not getting the level of service they've always expected. And uh, maybe it's taken them one or two days to get a return phone call. Uh, you wouldn't believe the stories we hear. <laughs> um, but if, you know, think about it, if you're a two or three person IT company and you're working on a big project or yeah. there's a big meltdown at one of your other clients, then you're right. not going to be as responsive to your other clients. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a point at which you get to a certain size where a lot of things get easier to, to kind of manage. But uh, those are the typically uh, the pain points that uh, businesses out there will come across is they're not getting the, the level of service they need. Either uh, they're not getting response. Um, issues aren't resolved right the first time mm-hmm. um, or they feel like they've kind of outgrown the technical capacity or knowledge of their IT provider. That's typically when we get a phone call saying, Hey, we want to talk to you. Can you come take a look at what we have? Mm-hmm. Now kind of running back to hands of time in 25 years ago, what came up with the name network one? <laughs> I wish I, I need to come up with a, a good story. I really don't have one. Oh. Um, I can tell you that um, uh, I've always done things a little differently than kind of the trend. But back in the nineties, every company that did what we did had some version of sis or com or tell or, you know, com tell sis, they would name their companies something around that. And I just thought, that's just boring. Um, And I, I liked having a one just the one I like the, the kind of the placeholder there. It's like, uh, and, and network, this is a computer network. I mean, network is kind of a generic, it can mean a lot, but in the computer world we have, uh, when you connect computers together, it's called a network of computers. So I uh, came up with network one. Oh, right. I always fascinated by how certain company names kind of came to fruition, whether it's uh, a phrase that the kid said, or they kind of 
threw an idea on board and made me smile. Said, oh, why don't you, you know, use up this this word in it? And I, sh- I should I should uh, have said something like I was uh, climb, climbing Mount Everest <laughs> and I was, I was summiting. I had a a moment, you know, uh, melding with God, and it came to me in a vision. Yeah. And, but that was not the case. That <laughs> works just fine. Works just fine. <laughs> I think I was walking yeah. down Peachtree Street, going to the gym, and thought, "Huh, uh-huh. network one. Okay, that works." Yeah. Great. <laughs> so so kind of share with it then. Going in, in ahead, let's say for the next um, or two to three years, uh, we dressed a little bit on the cybersecurity. I mean, I think that's going to be an ongoing issue so long as internet is going to be around. <laughs> it's not going away. And then a little bit on, on the AI side, that's a little hard to predict. Um, what other things, not just in kind of the tech or geek world, but the small business world that they should be aware about tech-wise that's coming kind of around the corner? Um, around the corners to, I, let me, uh, the, the first thing that pops in my head, which I'll, I'll run with is, uh, remote work and COVID really accelerated that a lot. We had a very busy month that first month after COVID of, of setting all of our clients up yeah. with, uh, remote work. Um, businesses now, and I'm going to put on my, I'm going to take off my IT hat and put on my kind of business owner hat mm-hmm. and, um, say that a lot of a lot of businesses are struggling with how to get workers back in the office. And I learned a lot of lessons during COVID. Um, we had, I'm going to take a little uh, detour here because I think it's an important lesson that I learned was, you know, we have 45 employees and in that little group of 45 people, we had every every mindset about around COVID. We had people who were thinking, Hey, this is nothing more than a bad cold. Mm -hmm. We had other people on the other end of the spectrum who were like, who were saying, I'm locking myself in my apartment and I'm not coming out. And we had everybody in between Mm -hmm. as a business owner. I had to learn how to navigate that and listen to everybody's perspective. And we also were a business and we have to make money. Oh, by the way, we have clients who also run the gamut. We have clients who are, you know, don't come out here and see us. We're all hunkered down in our houses. We have others that are like, we're plugging on, like there's nothing going on. Mm -hmm. And if you've got a kind of a mismatch there where you've got, you know, our employee who's more cautious about COVID, yet our client is less cautious cautious about COVID, how do you manage that? Mm -hmm. So, uh, start with just open dialogue. Like, Hey, let's, we understand and respect each other's positions. We got to come up with a solution for that. Um, so I, I, I tell you that story just to say that, you know, now that what has changed in our world is that people are viewing remote work as something of a benefit, but also something that can be more effective. Like I can be, if I don't have to sit in traffic for 90 minutes every day, I can spend more time doing my work. It's like, okay, but you also have distractions at home. So do you, do you have a good workplace? So we've invested now in all of our employees. They have a, a, a laptop set up for, for their house. So they have a laptop they carry to and from work, but they have a docking station and monitors at the office. We have a kit that they set up at their house. If they have room, you know, some folks have a small apartment and may not even have room for two monitors. So you kind of have to work through that. But, but the balance of, how much people should be in the office versus not is really a kind of a business by business decision. And there's a, there's a balance because if, if on the one hand you do nothing but 
require people to come into the office for 40 hours a week, mm-hmm. you're, I think you're losing out on some benefits of working remotely, uh, especially when it comes to culture and client satisfaction and quality of life and being more flexible. On the other hand, if you do nothing but work remotely over time and as you make new hires, you lose out on the fabric that kind of pulls you all together. And having personal relationships at work is really important when you have a bad day because when mm-hmm. when something bad happens with one of your clients and everybody's having to to jump in and, you know, throw water on the fire, you all need to be you have to have levels of trust mm-hmm. and Trust is only built, in my opinion, with relationships and and being able to have, you know, water cooler conversations and and get together after hours and have a beer and uh <laughs> reminds me what one of our one of our teams is doing a team building exercise where they're having the uh, a Bob Ross painter come in and bring and do <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so we have a bunch of engineers doing Bob Ross painting uh, next Friday. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so stuff like that. It's like, let them run with it. So mm-hmm. when I, when I talk about culture, it's like kind of, there, there's a lot of aspects to that and making sure that you have uh, kind of trust. So I think business owners, I'm going to answer your question a little differently. I think business owners have a lot of challenges ahead of them. Um, but a lot of opportunities too. Because you have uh, the newer generation of people coming into the workforce who have grown up on iPads and iPhones and technology, and they embrace it, and they embrace working from anywhere. Uh, And you also need to balance that with keeping the fabric of your company together and staying connected, and you only do that with office time. And so finding the right balance, you know, is it? one day a week or five days a week. It's probably not one of those. It's probably two, three or four. And you have to figure that out for your, for your staff. But, but listen, listen to your folks, get input from everybody. Uh, and you will have the entire gamut of opinions when you solicit input, just be, be prepared for that. You won't have consensus on much, but it's your job to lead and uh, lead by example. And by doing it with uh, positive uh, confidence and a can do attitude uh, that will serve you well in life. And so, uh, and that's, uh, I'm, I'm probably the most optimistic person, you know, but you know, when you talk about some, some ingredients that entrepreneurs need, I think that's, that's been an ingredient that served me really well is I understand risk, but I don't dwell on it. I, I can measure it and I can for, uh, forge forward knowing that, um, the worst outcome is probably not the most likely outcome. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, for our listeners, uh, whether they are hearing for the first time about, say, T1 or any other kind of <laughs> older phrases, uh, oh, like prodigy, well, I haven't heard, you know, used that word in a while, uh, to those who are now kind of listening for the first time, hmm, maybe I should get a second opinion, because especially if it's a one or two day <laughs> response time and they have a project that's coming, doing up, especially for an attorney, that, that's kind of like a little unacceptable. Um, how do they best uh, find you? Uh, well, we're, we're easy to find on the internet. Uh, Network One is the company name, uh, and it's Network One Consulting, and that's the number one. So, NetworkOneConsulting.com is the best way to find us. And you'll uh, you'll see some. Uh, th- those are actually uh, our people on their website. We don't use uh, stock photos, so we spent a lot of time uh, putting that together. We had some fun uh, r- writing the bios and pulling all that together. But uh, you'll you'll uh, be able to kind of see uh, what we do and how we do it. Uh, our office is in Sandy Springs. We serve uh, North Metro Atlanta and it's kind of a big, a big radius there, but uh, 
Um, but that's the best way to find us. And then uh, you'll be able to uh, click on our phone number and uh, call us and talk to our sales folks. Great. Now, kind of lead you to bring you back in uh, as we're kind of closing out our podcast here. Is you mentioned a little bit about not just your origin stories, but being a forever optimist. You kind of started in the 90s, kind of just at that dot-com start. And you weathered the storm through the dot-com bubble. You weathered the storm uh, post 9-11 and also weathered the storm in the housing bubble. Now, we have no idea what this next bubble is coming up, whether it is or isn't going to be. doesn't really matter. But for our listeners kind of peeking in and they kind of viewing you as the veteran of weathering these storms. So our listeners could be someone that just could be their very first storm or maybe their second, or maybe they're, they just haven't had that experience yet because they're new entrepreneurs and just started way after uh, the housing bubble. If you could wind back, to, wind back the hands of time, what top three advice would you give to your younger self in weathering these storms? So again, the question is kind of to put things into context. You've, you've, you've gone through the dot-com bubbles, you've gone through the housing bubbles, and for our listeners coming in, they're kind of scratching their head or sweating a little bit. They're like, oh, I've never went, gone through this as my own business owner themselves, as, as myself. How did you find a way to weather through that, especially <laughs> as an IT guy in the middle of a dot-com bubble? So maybe for, for a construction guy in a housing bubble, so I don't know what, what this is next going to be, but how did you find the confidence, the optimism, and the skill sets to weather that. Um, so giving you, you some time to think of your answer, this is kind of now, now leading into our uh, little legal <laughs> section of the podcast here. So uh, this show is sponsored and brought to you, uh, Julie Anthony Chen with Lighthouse Financial Network, uh, Securities Advisory Services offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., RAA, Member FINRA SIPC, RA is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of RAA. The main office address here is 575 Broad Hollow Road, out in Melville, New York, 11747. You can best reach me at 631-465-9090, extension is 5075. Uh, My email is just my full name, Anthony Chen, C-H-E-N, at lfnllc.com. So kind of circling back with you, David, what would be the top three words of wisdom to share with those who are <laughs> just kind of experiencing their, their, their first storm? Sure. Um, when I first started and uh, Network One and the dot-com thing was going on, I felt really out of sync in terms of what other technology companies were doing. They were developing websites. They were doing really cool things. They were coming up with new ideas. They were getting venture capital funding. I mean, I can barely spell VC. So I don't don't even know how to raise money. But I I had confidence in the business model. I had faith that what we were doing, even though it was, you know, in the IT world, pretty simple. It was taking care of uh, computers and making sure things continued to run. We didn't write our own code. We didn't come up with anything new. So stay in the course if you believe in what you're good at. The second one came later um, when I joined two different peer groups. So the first peer group I joined was a business owner peer group local to Atlanta, but it was in non-competing industries. So I had in the room with me, I had uh, CEOs of banks, marketing companies, construction companies, law firms, and I learned a lot of business lessons that way. 
Mm-hmm. And the second peer group I was in was an IT peer group. So these were CEOs and owners of IT companies like mine. Mm-hmm. None of them were in Atlanta. We were in non-competing markets. So mm-hmm. same industry, different markets. Both were invaluable. And I learned very, very different lessons from both, but, but they were super important. Mm-hmm. And, and that gave me a lot of education. I didn't get an MBA. I have an engineering undergrad degree. I, I didn't know how to do anything with accounting or anything like that. So learning how to read a balance sheet and, and an income statement was very important to me mm-hmm. in that process in order when I was being a business owner. Uh, and, and then, uh, so, uh, and then the third thing I would say is hire people smarter than you are and get out of the way and let them thrive, mm-hmm. uh, develop leaders, uh, I heard somebody recently say there are uh, builders of people. There are two, two types of people, builders of people and destroyers of people. Uh, uh, be a builder of people. And so I try to hire people who are smarter than I am, give them the, the tools they need and get out of their way. They're almost always going to succeed. And the times they fail, just try to learn, learn from it, learn mm-hmm. from the opportunity. Um, and with that comes culture. Uh, every company has a culture whether you put it down on paper or not is up to you. Um, but deciding who you are and, and what you want to be as a company will give you alignment. And if you're explicit about it and talk to, talk to your team about it regularly, bake it into your meetings, mm-hmm. talk about what makes you good and different and special. Then you'll find that everybody else starts appreciating that and starts acting in that way. And the people who are out of alignment will leave you or you'll help them find opportunity elsewhere. And when you have everybody in your organization pulling in the same direction, it has a multiplier effect. So that's very powerful. So culture is a, is a big, big word. It means a lot of different things to different people, Mm -hmm. but we've embraced it and really kind of dug in and figured out who we are and, and tried to be true to that. And when we hire new people, we talk about it. And if, uh, if it resonates with them, they jump on board and, and thrive. Wow. That, that could be the mic drop uh, right there. So again, uh, before we close out for those who are either looking for ID services, second opinions, or even finding the right person to help them put out fires, especially with your repertoire of history of weathering storms, I imagine you'll be the best captain <laughs> to help them guide them through, through the storm coming in. Again, how can they best uh, find you? Network one consulting.com. That's uh, one as the number one. Okay, great. Thank you, David. Thank you. All right. Now, as we're kind of closing out the show, uh, this is a little bit of Anthony's financial take. Uh, you heard a little bit of changing or adapting to the winds and, and thinking outside of the box. So as kind of a quick challenge for our listeners is kind of changing the paradigm of uh, both retirement and financial planning itself is rather than thinking of just an arbitrary age or years of, of work in a service like 30 and out, um, Think outside of that. Think of what does retirement mean uh, as opposed to what everyone else think it is and go from there. And that is Anthony's Financial Take. Thank you for listening in to Family Business Radio. 